When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. To Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is coming off of, of a Memorial Day weekend, and we're headed into that first, you know, quote unquote, summer uh, has officially started type of approach to things. And we are in the uh, planning is almost is all but done. You know, there's still a few places here and there I need to get some stuff done, but my oh my, how the uh, weather pattern has switched. So, Sean, how was your weekend? How you been? What's been going on uh, since we talked last? Weekend's been good. Had some good family time. Um, you know, it was nice to take a long weekend off and recalibrate where you are, where you're going, and what's important. So I, I always enjoy that. In terms of weather, things are kind of playing out as you know, we've been forecasting for a long, long time that we would have a, yes, a complete flip in the west and yep. a complete flip in the east. So the the perpetual two-year drought out west would end, and the, and the perpetual perfect weather out east would end, and we'd have a complete opposite situation where the garden spots would be your western grain belt uh, region, um, and that your uh, hazard area would be your central eastern grain belt. And so far, you know, we're sitting with the, the period from uh, April fifteenth 
through now. And if you look at the weather models into, let's say, um, uh, June 12th, it looks like it pro could be the driest uh, period uh, for that area, you know, and, you know, really one of the two top driest periods in 25 years. Um, now, the key is, of course, uh, the crops never hurt or made in the month of June, but it's a setup month for the month of July. We did get the crop planted fairly early in good condition. So pollination will be a little earlier. So that late June, late July timeframe is obviously your key window for getting, bringing the heat in. You're not going to have a major crop problem with the West looking so good unless you bring in the heat to that black ground in the, in the central grain belt that produces those 350 bushel acre corn yields. Um, you got to bring the heat in. And, it, and right now, um, things like global angular momentum, which we've talked about on your show before, do appear to be trending substantially down into the end of June. And you know, neutral to negative readings of global angular momentum tend have tended to uh, produce a significant uh, increase in hot weather anomalies in the central eastern grain belt. Um, and the models are starting to pick up on that, Casey. We're starting to see that the later on in the month, some heat's going to come in. It looks like we're going to get a pretty good cool down, however, middle of the month. And so I don't think the rally that we had late last week can be sustained without bringing heat back in. So I think that middle June timeframe is extremely important because I think we could probably correct here a little bit um, on this cooler weather and maybe bring in a little bit of moisture in. Uh, typically, if you go from hot to cold, there's usually a frontal boundary to bring a little rain in. But um, I think if this hot pattern really establishes itself and the dry pattern that's already in place continues, you know, we, we could see a, a more impacted move to the upside starting in, let's say, mid-June, just looking at the weather pattern set up right now. Um, so, you know, I think we saw, mentioned this on your show, but if I'm looking at December corn, I want to be looking at when we get a daily and or weekly close above 550 December corn as a technical indicator that the market is getting sufficiently worried about the U.S. corn prospects, that's going to override a lot of this weak demand problems that's coming from the hog herd economics being awful, the dairy economics being awful, the lack of cattle, uh, animal feeding units, and the fact that African swine fever in China does not is not necessitating them to need feed. To override those factors, I think closing above 550 corn would really be the trigger to say that the weather that the market is seeing is substantial enough that even in the face of that weak demand, we're going to have a supply problem. And so that's really, you know, we have two weeks, roughly two weeks to get to that point, Casey. And um, so this is a very important time to kind of, you know, are we going to get that heat or not? Because if it's just going to be dry and normal or dry and cool, it's not going to cut it against this weak demand. It's not going to cut it. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the the crazy side of this right now is that you've got so many other things pushing against that, and we're gonna talk about some of that here in just a minute. But when you're looking at at how um, how demand's shaping up, and there's just so much headwind in front of even even with the supply issues that we're seeing, that it's just not offsetting what we see with on, on the demand side. So it's a it's a very you know, tricky different type of game that we're seeing right now being played. It's very, very different. When, like in 2020, when we had cheap corn prices for a long time and the demand was fired up and, you know, we're in exactly the opposite. We just, you know, demand's been destroyed. Um, and, uh, you know, 
it doesn't mean like I, 2012 continues to be a very, very good price analog because that was a very similar. We had 2010, 11 was very, very high corn prices. We killed demand. We were coming down. Commodities were under pressure. The economy was weakening. Feed demand was down. And then we had the big crop problem. And we overrode those factors temporarily and had that big move up into late summer, early fall of 2012. And, and, and then we immediately collapsed because the man simply said, you know what? I just can't pay that. So yeah. the long-term trend is down in grains. I think everyone needs to understand the difference between the long-term trend and let's say the short intermediate term trend the short intermediate term trend potentially has the ability to have explosive upside here because of what seems to be setting up as we've been suggesting a potential major crop problem in the central eastern green but it's not a long-term trend it's two to three months spike trade you know but then it's you know pile drive down into summer fall of 24 when the el nino weather pattern actually takes place and we really actually put in some serious oversupply. And then the cheap prices start the process of rehabilitating demand back. So I think I have to understand the long-term trend is down. So any weather rally of any forceful, uh, with any forcefulness at all to the upside here into this you know, July timeframe, you know, needs to be sold very aggressively, cash sold by farmers uh, all the way into 24. I mean, this is not a time. This is not a. This is not a. You know, multi-year move higher. Here we go. This is a. We could catch a really strong, sudden, severe, impactful spike trade that you will want to sell very aggressively into. Um, not a. You know, and and that's and that's. I think I think you have to really create the distinction between long-term trend and short-term trends. And so right now, I still think the short-term trend has still has that potential for that significant potential spike trade, but the long-term trend is decidedly down. So. Good. All right. So let's talk about some of that demand that we're seeing right now on that's driving some of that demand. As you look at um, the cattle complex, you're seeing a bunch of, um, I mean, Packers just can't buy enough of, of cow, you know, since of slaughter run through and put meat and stuff on the shelf. That being said, you take a look at what the price of me of, hamburger is and steaks and everything else and saw a little bit of that this weekend going through uh from memorial day activities and those kind of things those beef cuts are very expensive very very expensive and you take a look at at your pork cutout price and where it's at and then how the pork products stack up and it's significantly cheaper to buy pork than it is beef right now and a lot of driving demands with that you get the prop 12 thing with the supreme court siding with california and California decided, hey, we're going to flip that switch tomorrow. So, um, by the way, if you want to send us your your hogs or your chickens or your, uh, I can't remember what else was in the mix, but um, they have to be within, you know, let more humane and um, more open range type, you know, type of type of scenarios when it comes to raising those crop or raising those animals. So, I guess, I guess Sean, looking at that right now, got African swine fever, like you talked about, going crazy over there. So, so the demand for what you see in oversupply and this, that, nothing. There's a lot of moving parts on the protein side. So, I guess break that down for us real quick and let you see how. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, we have we have literally the worst financial conditions currently in the hog industry ever, really, quite frankly. Um, we have probably the second to worst conditions in the milk and dairy industry right now. Yep. 
cattle industry is fine, but there's no animals, as you just said. Um, and then we found out there was uh, some foot and mouth disease found, uh, was it North Carolina, South Carolina last week? Okay. Um, you know, obviously one, one, one infection doesn't make a trend, but that, you know, obviously if that were to be uh, found elsewhere, you know, and we stop our exports of beef and cattle, you know, that could all of a sudden create that correction that has seemed to be elusive in the market. I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but, but, you know, when you, when you see a story like that, that, that out of nowhere you, you found an infection of foot and mouth, which is pretty unusual here in the U S to find, you know, usually where there's smoke, there's fire, and one needs to be very careful about that. But when I look at all of this, you know, and JBS announced their the worst quarter they've ever had in the history of the company. Tyson, one of the worst quarters in the history of the company. You know, the Packers aren't making any money. Well, last time I checked, if you're a bean crusher or you're a um, ethanol producer, if you're not making money, what do you do? You produce less. Right. So if the Packers aren't making money processing beef, cattle, and chickens, well, then they're going to just process less until such time that the pork price and the chicken price, you know, get to a level where they can make a positive margin again. So, you know, overall, I, I just think the demand for animals in general, and even to some extent, I think cattle eventually, uh, the Packers are just not going to chase it because they're not making, why, why would they chase losses? They're not, it's, it's like a, it's like a hog producer saying, oh yeah, I'm going to chase $7 corn when I'm already losing money at $5 corn. I'm, they're not going to chase it. So it's just hard to see um, that situation leading to very strong, robust demand for corn feed, low quality wheat feed, bean meal feed. It's hard to see that there's anything good going on with that. And then of course we have African swine fever, we think reaching its crescendo right now over in China, which means we're probably at max low demand for feed. Um, you know, it's it's just in order to overcome that, in order to overcome the buyer saying we just don't you know have the the finances to really buy a lot of feed, you're gonna have to really have a major crop problem. Now, this was exactly the condition we had in 2012. We had high prices in 2010 and 11. We were coming down. Demand was horrible, and then we had you know a major crop problem in the East Central Eastern Grain Belt that provided that short-term three-dollar spike trade. But people, but they didn't last long, and then we crashed and burned, um, you know, dramatically into some you know substantial lower levels into 2013. So the long-term trend is down, decidedly down, and that's not going to change. The question is, you know, can we get a short-term uh, shift and trend up based on the major crop problems. Right now, our forecast continues to say that the risks for that are elevated, that we're going to have, that the, that the dry weather we're seeing is going to continue into July and that the heat, which is necessary to create that major crop problem, you know, it looks to us, you know, that the, the odds of that happening are improving as we get to the latter part of June, that we're going to get the heat to accompany this, well, I mean, the last four days have been the, one of the driest year, periods in 25 years for the Central Eastern Grain Belt. So, it's not the I I it's not the most ideal situation for for um uh, for grain markets, but you know it, it can provide a windfall opportunity for grain producers to make cash sales not only for this crop year but also be very aggressive for the following year in 24. That would be your opportunity to really lay in those sales for the following year when the actual El Nino pattern takes place. And we do get 
cooler wetter weather for the majority of the, of the of the grain belt and we have those record yields that everyone's projecting this year which is not likely to occur that's your el nino year and also the same thing for south america will happen when they get into the fall so that's where we that's where you are and, and i just but i also think everyone needs to be very realistic that we're not talking about like we were talking in 2020 when we were suggesting a multi-year phase transition but this is not what we're talking about we're talking about a short sweet major crop problem spike trade on a short-term basis that offers an opportunity, the long-term trend is down. Okay, so then you're looking at, so 24, uh, 23, 24, 25, you're looking at the, let's talk about the Glassberg cycle real quick and where you see that's falling into place. You see that more, are you more convinced that's a 25 thing now than 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 a 23 thing? Well, the Glassberg cycle, um, while it can encompass a good portion of the United States, it really is a um, poor grain belt extreme drought um, that can extend elsewhere. But it, but if you really want to, let's say, micro-define the Gleisberg cycle, it is really a core grain belt you know, where the majority of the corn and soybeans are grown. Severe drought. I, I mean, black. So if you look at the Palmer drought severity, index, it's black. Meaning it just it's it is it cannot get any drier than that. Uh, the potential is there for the central eastern grain belt to have black, but you have to have extreme heat coming in late June all the way through into late July, early August. I mean, it can't be like okay, it's it's um ten days and then it cools down again. No, it's it's got to be kind of in your face, week after week kind of a thing. Yeah. The potential is there for this year, Casey. Okay. Now, the way if, if you look at the cycles, so this is a transition from El Nino uh, from La Nina to El Nino, it's possible. 24 is El Nino, or but um, the way this uh cycle works is when you have cold Pacific decadal oscillation, these El Ninos are short, sweet to the point, and they end fast. So, the way this is going to look is you're going to have a, you know, whatever your peak in the El Nino strength, it's going to occur in the fourth quarter, most likely, and then it's going to collapse. Um, and meaning it's, it's going to start to really weaken, but remember now, uh, uh, 2024 is going to be El Nino <laughs> transitioning back to La Nina, which means it's an El Nino weather pattern here. Okay. Meaning that the, by the time the El Nino fades, it's going to be too late to impact the growing season next year, it's going to be El Nino year, but we're going to see La Nina come back late in 24. And then 2025 is going to be a La Nina. It's not going to be multi-year. It doesn't even mean it's going to be a strong La Nina, but it's going to be kind of a weak, moderate borderline La Nina year for 25. So 25 would definitely Casey be on the table. And what could happen, what could happen, like what happened in the Dust Bowl is you could have a couple of years that have, uh, Gleisberg cycle qualities. Remember, 34 was your worst year. 36 was right behind it. Both actually qualify as Gleisberg cycle years in terms of black being, you know, in the core grain belt. So, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be either or. It could be both. Um, but certainly 24 would be off table. 25 would be on the table. And so all I'm trying to determine is can 23 – be hot enough to create that 
want you know that first year of Gleisberg in the in the grain belt and can 25 be that secondary year and maybe 25 is worse than 23 it's possible it doesn't have you know there's there's no consistency that right. one is more than the other all i know is that most glycebergs are a couple of droughts do quant- uh, uh, identify it one being worse than the other it could be that the one in 25 turns to be worse or it could be this one is worse but either way your elevated risk for a major crop problem is 23 or 25 24 is your perfect garden spot and El Nino year that everyone's projecting this year is not this year. It's 24. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I plenty of stuff to pay attention to here, man. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different things going. On. I mean, we'll talk about this next time, but you know, the grain corridor deal just got renewed and now Russia's saying, like, ah, this isn't going to work before us anymore. You know, and so it's, it's already, it's already spilling back over into, into whatever that means for them. So I don't know. I, I, for, 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 in my, in my view, I think if the spring wheat crop gets into trouble in Russia, which I believe it's going to, I think we talked about this a couple of programs ago that yep. um, uh, the, the uh, spring wheat areas of Russia look very, very dry, very, have been very dry, have been very hot. And we believe that pattern is going to continue through the critical phases of, of spring wheat development. Um, I think if they start looking at a really, really severe short spring wheat crop, I think they're going to pull back on blowing out their excess. Because remember, your high quality wheat is your winter, you know, your HRW and your and your uh, spring wheat. Um, they, they, you know, they're not exactly interchangeable, but that's where you get your high quality wheat from. So if you get into trouble with spring wheat, they're going to hold back on the HRW wheat because they're going to say, okay, we need more of that to offset what we don't have on spring wheat. So I really think for Russia, that's very important. If they got concerned, you're going to start to see them make those policy decisions to pull back on exports, raise those taxes. And then all of a sudden your cash price has been lowballing the market for months, backs up, and then everything trades off of that. So I really think beyond all the political moves and the things you hear, which I can't predict, watch spring wheat weather in Russia. I believe it's going to be a big story later this month and could be a real big catalyst for, for wheat overall and could be a big catalyst for grains overall, especially if the U.S. July weather pattern turns out hot to accompany the dry. You, 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 could, have a, you could have a mad dash uh, to the exits of record-long speculators in the grain markets that um, you know could be pretty uh, pretty epic. So we just need to be on, on the on the lookout for some of those catalysts. And the other catalyst, and I think we spoke before about it, is we're very very confident about a, um, a, a, a kind of a failed monsoon season for India. Uh, July, for those who don't know, is the key month of monsoonal rainfall. Meaning, if you don't deliver on July, you absolutely positively cannot make it up. The rest of the season like it's you, you can't make up a bad you can make up a bad june can make up a bad august but you, you you got to deliver on your july rainfall i don't think we're going to deliver the way we're looking at it uh, we think our july rainfall is going to be way way off and that means rice is going to be in big trouble and rice and wheat spring wheat especially are human consumed ag products that feed half at least half the world if not more you get spring wheat into trouble. They back away from HRW, and you bring rice prices into the mix. You know, I think you have a you have a a story there that the speculators are going to be very very uncomfortable wanting to be short 
uh, agriculture, especially um, human-consumed agriculture. So I would really watch India and, you know, India rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, sugar also could be greatly impacted in India and also watch spring wheat in Russia and, and on top of July. I think those three areas, one, all or some would be the catalyst for at least temporarily getting some of these speculators to buy back in and giving us a rally with which U.S. farmers can sell. Um, okay. Good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what is what it is you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Our Twitter page is Faradex11 or at Faradex11. And we also have a LinkedIn page from time to time. We make comments and sometimes post some interviews that we do that talk about our weather cycles and some of our indicators that we utilize capital flows to make our price forecast in agriculture. Right on. Okay. Well, Sean, appreciate you being the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Always a blast. Right on, buddy. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and go over to the YouTube channel where you can watch the video version of this, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out there. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related and get all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. All the information is up there. So check that out. And a uh, new website coming up here pretty soon. So that'll be even better to, to for your browsing um, experience, I guess, the best way to put it. So check that out there. Go to, um, if you need more information about that, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast, movingironpodcast.com, and I'll get you what you need. Uh, be the first 150 people to sign up uh, for the Moving Iron Summit, and Axon Tire will give you the uh, $50 discount. And so take advantage of that. Also, um, if you want a free Stanley tumbler, you should get one of these, Sean. I want a free Stanley I want one. I got to have it. All you got to do is send an email to marketing at Axelon. Are your your operators uh, standing by? Standing by. Yeah. They're all bots. But yeah, they're standing by (laughs) waiting for you. So check that out. If you get something crazy back, it's just an algorithm error. So just check that out. All right. So with that, I'm Casey Steamer with Sean Hackett. Smooth smart folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.